Hello, beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables podcast. We are reading Wild Seed by Octavia E. Butler. As part of our lifelong commitment to reading Octavia E. Butler and learning everything we can about what she channeled through to us. And I am your host, Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we are on chapter four this week for those who are reading along with us, listening along with us, chapter four. And before we jump into it, are there any announcements, Toshi Regan? Yeah, I would love to announce that my um, next marine mammal meditation um, with the wonderful Alexis Pauline Gums, based on her incredible book, Undrowned, is soon to be released and might be out by the time you hear this. It is called Makalani, mm. Eye of Heaven, She Knows. And yes. um, this piece is awesome. We got to um, collaborate with our friend B. Steadwell, who made a beautiful meditation of a film to go along with this. So mm. this will probably go up on multiple YouTube channels, including Adrian's. <laughs> including my new YouTube channel, Adrian Marie Brown YouTube channel. I don't know if that's how you call it. How do you say, say that? We don't, know. <laughs> like, we don't know nothing. I don't trying. actually know about this. I'm like trying to figure it out. But my team suggests that people will be able to search and it'll yeah. just be like, there's the channel. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. That might be my announcement also is this is still brand new, but I have a YouTube channel and it's mostly just to gather, you know, in addition to doing podcasts, I'm, I'm doing events and conversations often and they're with amazing people like Toshi, like Alexis Pauline Gums, like Autumn Brown. And I wanted, I wanted to have a place to gather those conversations because I think there's patterns there. And I think it's also a great place if you're trying to deep dive into emergent strategy, into pleasure activism, into um, radical imagination work. That's a great place to just be like, oh, let me listen to these conversations. I want to say they're in the spirit of my mentor, Grace Lee Boggs, because I think about her a lot and how she was like, conversation is a way that we really practice deepening our understanding of our conditions. Mm. And I, I deeply feel like, oh yeah, conversation is a practice and sharing those conversations and sparking new conversations is a practice. Mm. And so that's also part of what we're doing here. That's right. <laughs> so chapter four, this is another one. I really love what you said. And I think we are trying to make sure that we say this at the beginning of each chapter is light candles, have some water nearby, recognize that we are reading about enslavement. We are reading about things that are extremely traumatic and it may unleash some traumatic experiences in your own tissue, marrow, bones, memory. Mm. Don't be surprised by that. These things live on in us. They connect to things that are happening now. So be intentional about caring for yourself as you listen, as you engage. Yes, yes. Um, well, this is chapter four, and I wrote on the page, I would fly away to the kingdom if I just had two wings. And um, this is mm. this is a, a chapter of, of many things, but of capture. Yes. And negotiating the best you can, your captivity. And, mm. um, and so, you know, more than that is even going on, but... They love the spirituals because they really give you the instructions. <laughs> like, 
of what you yeah. would do, what you could do, and what you, you know, really, really wish you could do. So mm. here we are. They are on this boat, and they are um, sailing out into the big water. It's Anyanwu and Okoye who are together in Doro's quarters, and they are starting to feel the movement of a ship going out to the big water. And before they they are doing that, they're having a conversation about this world they're heading to. And uh, Koye's like, you know, why, why are we going to be with these white men? Because there's just, he's never had any good experience with them. And all of the fellow slaves said that the whites were cannibals. And mm. um, also that he felt they were taken, going to be taken to this land and get fattened up and then eaten. And Anyanwu assured him that it's not their custom to eat men. And mm. even if it were, she says, our master would not permit us to be eaten. He is a powerful man. And Okoye is like, that is not a man. And she's a little bit surprised that he's he's really discovered that. He doesn't know what he's with, but he's not with a regular man. And yeah. Anyanwu tries to explain who Doro is. Okoye is saying it was he who brought me and then sold me to the whites and I remember him and he beat me. So there's the body that mm. he's he's wearing and he says, but something is different right now. Something is living inside, some some spirit. And mm. um, uh, Okoye is very present. So he understands that even though that's the person who captured him and sold him, this is not the same thing he's dealing with. And so Okoye tries to like tell him, yeah, he is a, he's a spirit and he's done you a service and he's killed your enemy and there's no reason to fear him. And, you know, he's like, mm, um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, girl, <laughs> don't go too far now. <laughs> and, and yeah, who says this thing like, she does. She doesn't fear, or she maybe fears him, but not as much as she should. Um, it's like this whole territory of like, how are you supposed to measure your fear against something you've never seen and it's completely right. unknown? And so she says, "Well, I am. You know me, and I'm your mother's kinsman." And this is this starts the opening of the the reveal of who Anyamu really is. And she's like, do you remember your mother's mother? She's an oracle. Um, God mm. speaks through her. She is Anyanwu, your mother's mother. And she's, you know, and he's just kind of like, I, I don't know. And she's trying mm -hmm. to bring him back to his childhood. And apparently when he was a little boy, she used to like, you know, shape into creatures for him. And he loved it. And he was like, I was a child. I was dreaming. And she's like, you were awake. And you know, you saw what you saw. And this is who mm -hmm. I am. And he's like, I know I never told anybody. And so she is like, even as a child, she's seen something special with him. He didn't, he didn't talk that much and he knew when to keep quiet and he didn't cry a lot. Like, so she's kind of trying to get into this, this zone with him that he could actually take knowing the truth about her. Mm -hmm. I mean, how gently can you be? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I'm about mm -hmm. to do something right now. She reminds him of a scar she used to have. And 
she puts the scar where it used to be on the body that she's on. So she's she's being the, you know, the young, black, muscular man. And then all of a sudden the scar that this elder had appears on her face. And Okoye is like, "Mm -mm, this is not for me. And he runs out. Eventually, she she shows him the spectrum of bodies that he would probably meet on this journey. So she goes to back to looking like his grandmother, the ancient one that he knew as a child. And then eventually she shows him the body that is her body, that, that yeah. which is, you know, the beautiful young woman who's like 20 years old. And when he sees that, he's, you know, he wants to know, like, how did this happen? And she yeah. tells him. So she's at a certain age. She's getting married um, to her first husband. And she's having um, issues, you know. And people are like, you got a bad wife and you need to just get yourself another one. Not only does she have issues, but she can't have children. And so her mm-hmm. husband does everything he's just like goes to all of the you know does all of the practices and sacrifices animals and and everything anybody can make and he gives to her and she does all of these things and eventually she evolves out of whatever that part of her becoming who she probably was going to become anyway and she she stops aging and not only does she stop aging but she also like can now have kids and she gave this guy she says 10 kids and um and eventually she you know realizes like she's not going to age so she disguises herself like she makes herself appear older so that it's not weird but like she liked this husband so at night she would give him the young body even as he got older Mm. um and so he takes this all in (laughs) Mm-hmm. But eventually they have like a collaboration of and I guess this is how this book is going to work is a collaboration of reality with a new thing that you haven't known. So just as you're starting to learn something about the last new thing, another mm-hmm. gigantic new thing comes up there. And so they're on this boat <laughs> and they experience seasickness and both of them right. experience it. And this is really cool. You really get to see how Anyangwu is just like in her body in this certain kind of way where he's just a mess. They like go up on deck. He's like throwing up. Everything is happening. And she goes inside her body and she examines everything and she finds like, oh, something in her in her ear that's off balance. And she does something there and she does something someplace else. And she mm-hmm. she's like, the wrongness is is right, you know, is righted. Like she, yes. oh my goodness, if we could have that, I love uh, this. I mean, and I, I guess am we can. With this. <laughs> yeah, I guess we have it in some ways. Like, can you get down and listen to your body and make some changes with deep within? But it's it is it is such an incredible thing. I'm really yeah. grateful for this journey. So she goes through this and she does it, but it doesn't really help Akoya. She can't like fix his body eventually a white man comes and brings her something and it's in a cup and she takes it and she's not going to give it to him even though she's better she's got to try it first so she tries it and it's like probably some kind of liquor 
mixed with something. She said it's kind of like plum wine, but much stronger. She gives it to him, and Okoye starts to, to get much um, better, and he starts to, uh, like, get sleepy and, you know, mm. thankfully. And so she thanks the, the white man in her own language, and he has, like, yellow hair, and he's staring at her because she doesn't have, like, clothing on, and he's just staring at her breast and looking at her, and... And she looks at him and starts to think about, like, well, where, how far does this yellow hair extend? Like, does he have it down there? And she kind of chuckles about that, like. (laughs) 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, she goes back to the cabin with the Koye, and he follows them. And she's just like, that's enough. Like, go away. So Doral returns, and he goes into the cabin. And he is like, do you, you know, look for your look for your relatives, like see if anybody else is here. And mm-hmm. she gets a chance to go up and where he is keeping people, they are not chained, but they are captured people. And so she looks and she finds someone. And how are you saying this sister's name? So I said it as Udinkwo. Udinkwo. I was saying yeah. Udinkwo. Udinkwo? Udinkwo. That's beautiful. Let's roll with that. Udinkwo. Udinkwo. Okay. So uh, Udinkwo is there and she finds her by speaking to her, finding the, the common language that they have. It's a little bit different, but it is similar enough for her to, to really understand that that is, that is her kin. And so she wants to find out like what's happened to her. And so she says she was taken by the river and they went to the river and their friends were there and they were all taken, including her children, her son. And she was sold four times <laughs> and her son was sold um, the second time. Her son's five years old. And so immediately, you know, Anyan was like, Doro, can you get this son? Like, we need to get him. Yeah. And he's just like, no. And she wants to obviously go back home and he's like, you belong to me now. And she's like, I'm a freeborn woman and my daddy is somebody and my husband is somebody. And he's like, you just need to obey me and do what I say. And when you obey me, like, you're going to you're gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, um, will I be sold? He says, no. Um, will I be tied again? And will I be beaten? He's like, no, you just need to obey me. Like, oh, do what I say and we're going to be okay. And... So Anyangwu is really like, why can't, you know, like really wants him to find the child. And he's like, there's no way. There's no way he can find him. But she is a part of her her clan, the eighth son from the third husband. So it's this is all amazing to me. And um, the years that, you know, she is having to go back to to figure out who people are in, in her line. It's pretty incredible. So it's a sad thing, and I appreciate Octavia for putting this sadness into the story because yeah. what you really understand why they can't find anybody is it's just an abundance of, I mean, it's so many people moving, right. and it's completely overwhelming, and nobody is doing anything to ensure that there's a way to say who anybody is. So he's just like, no, you, you can't possibly find this person. She also has this conversation about how she has all these descendants because Doro's like, you you know, your descendants are everywhere. Like for 
all this time you've been making these people and she's like yeah sometimes they marry each other and that really that's an abomination but I have to be silent you know otherwise it would be a problem for the families so she asked Doro had he had any children himself and we learn that Doro died at 13 years old and he is 3,700 years old and then maybe now we now we understand why he just goes shrugging through life because yes he's been around for a minute and he his his own body when he was 13 yeah when it can you imagine i can't so they were he's been alone i just think about that he's basically been alone Mm -hmm. longer than we can imagine being alive that's right. right you know and so he's he's kind of imagining you know what kind of kids he would have and then she's like, well, you just could be like me having like ordinary children. Like that could have been your path as well. But he's like, meh, I don't know, and moves on. <laughs> so he suggests that she sets up, you know, her grandson with the woman that they just met. And she's like, oh, no, 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 we're not doing that. They're kinsmen. And he's like, well, they're not going to know unless you tell them. And um, he's like, they can marry and he'll get them land and... They can do their own thing and do what I say, of course, but they'll have their Doro Mm -hmm. independence, which we, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and she's afraid of that. She's just like, I don't know if I feel that. And, you know, she's good to be afraid because this man is just about breeding. Like that's pretty much the purpose of his life is to create, create all these people. And she starts to take some space from him but she's on this boat and she's looking out and it just hits her that here's the shoreline that she can see and she's getting farther and farther away from it and then when she looks beyond that situation she's just seeing water and water and more water and more water and it starts to really have an effect on her then she sees Isaac Isaac is kind of like trying to get to know her and he's like I'm Isaac and he asks her name and she says her name and then he takes her around the deck and he shows her different things and says the words in English and she tries to to learn and then he goes away and as soon as he goes away she gets that same feeling that she was experiencing before and it gets heightened and at this point she's kind of gripping the edge of the ship and, you know, the railing and wanting to like, you know, jump into the water or go, you know, I wrote, go away home, like whatever home is like, could she get to this? And at this point, I don't even think she's in touch with like, you could maybe be something that could leave and get you back to the shore. But she's in a panic. She's terrified. She's experiencing something in a way she never had before thinking about her living hundreds of years and being very sure. And then like all of a sudden being like, I'm not sure of anything right now. Mm -hmm. So it's, she kind of throws off the people, Isaac too, who are trying to keep her from jumping off the ship and Doro arrives and he tells her she's not alone and he holds her and she allows herself to be comforted by him. So Doro just reminds her that she's she's on the ship, but she's not by herself. And she's with him. Yeah. And now she's with her kinsmen and that her family 
And so, like, stay with us. He says all of the right things. And he gets her to calm down. Isaac, who she, you know, was rough with, she, she, he apologizes for her and says that, you know, she's as strong as a, strong as a man. And then we, it is revealed that Isaac is also very special, like has some gifts. And then we find out that Isaac is Doro's son. And not only is he his son, but he's a favorite son. He really, Mm -hmm. really likes Isaac. So, so that's interesting. And I think she likes him a little bit too. But one thing is for sure, Isaac really likes Anyamu. He is like, "Mm, this is for me. And I want to know who she is, you know, and what, what can we do? So as she is getting calmed and assured by Duro, um, Duro and returning to her space um, with the Koye, Isaac and Duro have this conversation about her and, <laughs> and like recognizing that, you know, she's very powerful and that she could probably kill Isaac. She could probably, you know, kill Duro, Duro's body if he, if anybody could. And then he's like, so uh, how long are you going to like have her? Like, cause is that just for you or, you know, can I be a part of this? And they, they're, and you, and, and they're having this like, you know, breeding conversation because, That's right. you know, Isaac's ancestors, it's, it's been a long time for Doro to get to an Isaac, you know? Yes. So he's, he has spent a very, very long time doing very specific breeding to get very specific outcomes and now we understand it's not just africans but it's also other kinds of people from other places and and that isaac is like a success story and you can tell there are some some plans up ahead so they have the conversation he's like you know you'll have anyanwu too i'll share her with you later and isaac's like when like, when can I have her? And he says, later, I said, this is a dangerous time for her. She's leaving behind everything she's ever known. And she has no clear idea what she's exchanging it for. And if we force too much on her now, she could kill herself before she's been of any use to us. And just all the bad things. So yeah. this is how chapter four ends. You know, I'll just say in a prayer for Anyangwu because. You in danger, girl. You in danger, girl. Yeah. So I, there's so much, again, like there's so much packed into each of these chapters. And I feel like Octavia is taking us into such clear territory. Like she's like, I don't want you to be confused about what's happening here. I don't want you to be confused. Like I love that she lets us see what people are saying behind Anyanwu's back and not just like seeing only through Anyanwu's eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful for how she tells this story. So starting with the conversation between Anyanwu and Okoye, the question I hold here is how do we explain magic, ours and others? Mm -hmm. How do we talk about it? How do we talk about the unknown? And this line, the easy childhood acceptance of the impossible was gone. 
moves me so much. I feel like I know I experienced things in childhood and I've heard from so many others who did. And I know the children in my life have experienced things that are like, you know, as an adult, as you recount them, it's like, I know this doesn't seem possible. And yet, and so the question that leads me to is what did you see or witness or hear or know as a child that is hard to believe as an adult? And just give yourself a moment to witness, remember, maybe journal or write it down. What if it's true? <laughs> yeah. Then I love that Okoye is astute and is like, there's a different spirit. There's a spirit in this body I recognize. And the question I hold for listeners is, can you feel the spirit in people? Can you feel when you meet people, if there's a spirit of healing, if there's a spirit of opposition or oppression or other things going on there? I think some of us are like, you know, I get a bad feeling or I'm a good judge of character. Like we might express it in different ways, but can you feel the spirit of a human? Oh, I love this question because I know when I, I know I've been like with people and you know, especially if you're in a common dynamic, like how to explain this, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you go someplace and they warn you about something, mm-hmm. you know, like they're like, usually if I travel to, you know, different countries or something, so they'll be like, you know, in this country, this happens and this happens. And this is a mode of, you know, like uh, if you go someplace where pickpocketing is really like big. right? So right. you're always like, you know, they're like, you know, don't be bringing a bunch of stuff with you and don't have swing in your bag and That's don't right. you know giving you all of these things and so you have all your things and you're like I'm going down the street and then you kind of can see certain people that are like you know if that was an opportunity I would take it or they might even try I would just never forget like seeing somebody walk towards me and their like <laughs> face just looked I was like okay and I just remember just turning and like actually walking yeah. in front of them instead of towards them yeah. And then just trying to find like a place where I could go into. I was like, I don't know what that person does, like in yes. terms of, but pickpocketing is the shield. Yes. It's the shield. Right. It's like, it's the thing they're going to do to, to yes. do something else. To do whatever, like, what else they're I was like, yeah. no, 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 no. Like, I don't yeah. mind. I'm not going to do like, that. No, thank you. <laughs> Leave my soul alone. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I feel like I get this in a big way and it, Sometimes it's hard to put into words, but I feel like there's such a clear, you know, I've always thought of it as like there's shadows on the spirit. Like there's some kind of shadows Mm -hmm. on the spirit and I can feel when there's like some shadows on the spirit. And sometimes as a healer, I can, I can work on that. You know, I can be like, okay, I see the shadow. I can see where that is and I can help to move it along. I can help it to invite it to go if the person's ready for that. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of us have some, some, capacity for this, whether it's named or unnamed. And I also think that some spirits are loud, you know, like I feel like Doro's spirit is really loud. Like part of what makes him powerful is that people can tell that it's his spirit, no matter Mm -hmm. what other conditions are there. And that his spirit is more dangerous than the body he's taken, which was also dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And at this point in the story, does Anyanwu trust Doro? And I'm going to keep asking this question over and over again because she's going around and promising to people 
don't worry, you'll come to no harm. And I'm like, is it her trying to offer comfort or does she feel like the agreement that she has with Doro is one that he will uphold? What mm. do you think? Right. What do I think? Or what do Yeah, they what do think? you think? Oh. Well, what do they think? But always, what do you think? <laughs> oh, okay. I think she's adaptable. And I think that she's in a bit of a desperate situation. And so I don't know that it's intentional, but she's, you know, I hate to say it, but it reminds me of like vaccination conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not that you know everything about the vaccination and so that you can be like super sure because i'm like pfizer really um (laughs) it's not that (laughs) i I don't trust any of you (laughs) i don't trust any of you you know (laughs) like especially fast like let's get some research okay yeah but you know the situation is is so gigantic so i actually am like no it's like you're in your little boat and then the virus is like the huge big water that right. you have never seen before and right. you know and your boat has a leak and somebody's like well we have a bigger boat and <laughs> you don't know who they are but That's you right. know like i just said to my friend but you know when your boat's leaking and you're on big well you will jump on like the boat the boat that's carrying trash the boat the boat that's where the people kill whales we're gonna jump on that boat you're gonna be jumping right. on and it's not that i think you know i just want to let y'all know that the vaccination isn't necessarily evil or horrible it's gonna do i am vaccinated i went and did it but the conditions of the situation that's right make you reach for solutions even if you don't 100 percent understand the whole value of them it's that you that's have right. to take a step because the thing that's happening is so gigantic that it will wipe you out no matter right. what and i feel like she's operating in that zone that mm-hmm. is it's too big you know, she doesn't have all the answers. She got her people. She's starting to use language that puts into context, like the mm-hmm. relationship they're going to have. So she's like our master, mm-hmm. you know, she's not ready to call herself a slave, but she's right. like, our master is going to do yeah. this and do that. And you're going to be protected because he values, you know, who you are, but she's not ready to say how. Right. You know, and she must right. have an understanding. So I think she's in the in the midst of, you know, getting everybody like to a point mm-hmm. and then seeing what's going to happen, you know, next. And yeah, um, I agree. Yeah. But I think she does have a trust of him. Mm-hmm. Like she allows him to calm her down. She allows him to comfort her. She is like, I'm his wife, you know, like. Yeah, I I think that is important to her. I don't know if it equals like 100% trust, but I think giving someone that amount of intimacy does imply, I think, a belonging. Yeah, I mean, I, I also feel like that, like she's like, I'm learning the language, I'm learning the landscape. I also feel that there's some spell casting here that she's like, I will declare it thus. And... Like this is what I this is the best I can hope for in this situation right now, and so I'm gonna stay say it that way. You don't need to worry about anything. Mm-hmm. Like he's gonna cover you. And I think this will keep keep unveiling. Anyanwu in this chapter, we learn so much more about her healing, like how she heals, what she's able to do, how she's able to change herself, um, and how she's able to heal others. And so she says that remembering and correcting were one gesture, 
balance was restored and that she's honed this ability to remember well-being in her body. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that remembering is healing? Have you tried this healing methodology yourself? And I think it evokes Ayurvedic healing. You know, the mm-hmm. Ayurvedic approach is you are well and you have strayed from wellness, but if you can remember, you can practice your way back to it. And I'm like in that practice myself right now. I'm like, wait, how how do I begin to imagine myself as well, believe myself as well, and get back to that? Remember what health looks like in my body versus kind of leaning into like, I'm not well, <laughs> and well is never going to be an option again. So I'm curious to hear what our listeners think. And then this other line really moves me, like every time. It's thus, when her enemies came to kill her, she knew more about surviving than they did about killing. Mm-hmm. This feels like a strategy. Yes. And it makes me want to ask us over and over again, what would be different if we could confidently say that about ourselves and our movement, that we know more about surviving than anyone who is up against us knows about killing, right? And maybe even we know more about freedom than than they know about oppression. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Consider it. So in this chapter, this time reading it, I noticed that Octavia has Anyanwu share that she would make her body young for her husband as he aged and aged. And it evoked for me that this is a theme in Octavia's work, that she's always got this age gap. She's always got these young bodies, young bodied women in relationships with people of various ages. And the question that came up this time for me is, is Octavia as a writer, as a person, was she scared of aging bodies or in some way turned off by them? Hmm. Or was the way she wrote this a commentary on the societal norms of desire that are constantly uplifting the young, the new, the untouched, the virginal, right? I'm really curious about it. I want to hear it. I want to think about it. You know, like, I'm like, what is this? Why does this show up over and over again in her work? Yeah. <laughs> I see I'm your, just your thinking, forehead. I see I'm your trying forehead. To think of, I'm just trying to think of, like, and is it ever, like, um, a young man with an older woman? I'm just going through my yeah um, i mean i can't books. remember any no i can't remember i mean I do, I do remember that in lilith's brood amongst the onkali there's some people who seem like to be much younger who are already in the the mating process but mm-hmm. i don't know if any of them are like young body in the way she talks about the you know um mm-hmm. shori and fledgling or you know even what we just experienced in the parables with Olamina and um, Bancole. So I think it's worth, you know, just some reflection on, right? It's just like, why was that pattern so prevalent in her work? Mm -hmm. So you pointed this out with some laughter, and I always love this, like when she's looking at Isaac, looking at his hair, you know, wondering, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what is under there? And just that feeling of being face-to-face with something that's truly different, right? We're like, I've never seen this before, and I don't know what to even imagine about, <laughs> you know, like right. I have questions, right? Do you remember your first time seeing someone who truly felt different from you, like in a way that you were like, I wonder 
what's going on there. I wonder, you know, what this looks like altogether as a naked mm. body, as a as a human body. Um, it's different, and I'm trying to learn what this is. Anyanwu is promising protection to her descendants. Doro is planning to breed them. Can you imagine any scenario in which their motivations are compatible? Hmm. And then when Doro can't find the child, when he says, I can't find the child, like it's just not even a possibility, how do we process the limitations of those who hold unjust power over us, right? Doro basically here is positing himself as a good slave owner. Like he's like, I'm a slave owner, but if you're one of my people, as long as you obey me, you'll be able to have access to all these things. But even as this, you know, immortal, all-powerful being, there's this limitation that he's up against. Like even he can't move through the dysfunctional bureaucracy of enslavement. Like the numbers are too big. There's too much to navigate. There's a part of me that also wonders if he just won't, like if he mm-hmm. won't try. Like I'm like, I feel like if he set his senses to it, he probably could find this child. But how do we process those limitations or the choice to live inside the limitations of those wow. who hold power? Because in the chapter before, Daly says like all your all your people are dead. Yes. And he's like, no, they're not, because he can sense them. Like he could yes. sense Anyamu. He can so, and maybe if they were his people, he would. Yeah. He would be like, oh yeah, I'll find him. Yeah. But exactly. he's not, so he's like, shrug. Nope, like, can't find shrug, him. Sorry. Can't do it. Nope. Not possible. Doro. Doro, what a complex character Octavia has given us with this this character. I wonder here. Can you feel compassion for Doro? Can you imagine being immortal? Can you imagine losing your empathy or trying to protect your empathy in all that time? Can you imagine the the longing for peers that drives him? I remember being in a session, gosh, it must have been like 2011, 2012 or something, with other people discussing this book in Oakland. And someone asked, did Anyanwu ever try to heal Doro? Like, did she understand that there was a a traumatic wound at the core of Doro? And it was for me, you know, having read it many times already at that point, the first time I had really considered compassion for him, compassion for like child Doro in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I want to ask you, you know, as you're learning more about Doro's story, his capacity and his motivations, can you feel compassion for him? And no judgment either way. (laughs) Well, I mean, we just finished this whole conversation. So it's really interesting because we have um, Keith in Parable of the Sower. He's like 13 years old and like all out there doing what he has to do. He wants to go outside. And then we have Marcus in the Talents. Yes. And now we have Doro who lost his original body at 13. Yes. So she's always asking us <laughs> to deal with these, you know, these these people who do things in such an expansively horrible way, yes. violent way, and then deal with their, you know, their origin, like how That's they, right. yeah, how they came to it. 
it's it's like this is the worst of us. Can we look at this? Yeah. What do we do? What do you make of how Doro can comfort Anyanwu? Hmm. The fact that she can take comfort from what he offers her. What relationship dynamics does this evoke for you as you're watching them, listening to them? <laughs> for me, I'm like, it's not good. <laughs> not good. I was like, no, Anyanwu, no. <laughs> no, we're like, girl, um, hold yourself. Like, no, <laughs> no, hold that boundary. Turn to someone else. But, you know, in part because, you know, this last question I have, the conversation between Doro and Isaac just turns my stomach, like imagining anyone ever having a conversation like that about me or anyone I love. Mm -hmm. um, it's just painful. In Doro's world, in the world of people beyond empathy, is anyone actually free? Mm. Right? Is anyone actually free? And that's mm. our chapter, chapter four. That's what we got for y'all. Mm -hmm. It's a hard one. Mm -hmm. And keep your curiosity turned on for this stuff. Like we're really diving into what it is to be a human being, what is possible for us on an evolutionary journey, and what holds us back from that mm. evolution. Like that's, I think, what this book is is up to. So pay attention. Ooh. Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, with Toshi Regan. Our show art is from Krista Franklin. We are transcribed by Jess Pinkham. You can find us on Twitter at O Parables. You can support the work of this podcast, the labor of um, scholarship and production, by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash O Parables. And you can find all transcripts for each episode at readingoctavia.com. Music for today's episode is You Don't Know the Time, written and performed by Toshi Regan. And Sower, written by Bernice Johnson Regan and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, live at Memorial Hall in North Carolina. We'll see you next week. See ya. A sower went out to sow her seed. 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 Oh,